And welcome on in, everybody. It is the Check Your Brain podcast, and my name is Tony Mazur. If you were watching on the video there, that is my podcast logo, the Check Your Brain podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcast. I've said podcast like 87 times already. I understand that. But uh, go check me out. I'm on YouTube here. I'm on Rumble. I think I'm going to start putting my videos up on Odyssey as well. The audio version is available wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that fun stuff. And I also have a Patreon. So if you want more episodes featuring me and sometimes only me, but sometimes you'll get a guest that comes in a couple of days, maybe a week early, get early access to that for just three bucks a month. Go to my Patreon at patreon.com slash Tony Mazer. That is my name. I am Tony Mazer and I am joined by a gentleman that's his name is Zach Arnold. And Zach, you, uh, you are kind of like a renaissance man you're like a a new at renaissance man where you're doing a bunch of different things you're in the world of music comedy uh you're doing a you have your own youtube page and videos yes. and stuff like that so welcome aboard thank you for having me tony i appreciate it so uh you have your uh, i'll share the page here the incredible impressionist uh, the Correct. incredible impression i should say and it's on youtube and go check out some of your videos and your shorts so uh, give us the backstory. Who are you? Uh, what uh, uh, what can we get out of you? It's like the whole elevator pitch. Like, uh, tell us about Zach Arnold while I'm on the elevator as I'm going up a couple of floors. Well, let's see. I'm a man. <laughs> I like women. <laughs> no, I'm, that's uh, good to know. It was it, oh, yeah. it's very good to know nowadays. <laughs> Absolutely. I uh, I got my uh, impression uh, background from uh, seeing the legendary impersonator comedian Rich Little um doing a uh, show called the presidents and this was right after uh george w bush took office in 2000 2001 somewhere around there and he did all these presidents on on stage with supporting actors and uh a uh, lady played uh co-star of his played the first lady and he came on did all these guys in costume from john f kennedy right on up to uh george w bush and i was sitting there thinking to myself, I'd like to be able to do that, you know, and he, he did all these uh, voiceovers and stuff for the play too. Like he did Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, uh, Jimmy Stewart. Oh, oh my gosh. There were so many of them. And, uh, but it was very, very moving for me to see all of this happening. And uh, the very first person I ever impersonated actually was Ringo Starr in a Beatles tribute band. Uh, two tribute bands I was in, one from Ohio called Abbey Road, and the second was called Beatlemania the Invasion out of Pittsburgh. Um, I did those. I was in Abbey Road from 2007 to about 2010, 2011, and I was in uh, Beatlemania the Invasion for about less than a year. Uh, that band didn't really pan out too well. Um, but then I was supposed to go back into the tribute industry this past summer, <clears throat> but we ended up uh, scrubbing the idea because it things just didn't work out according to plan. So in the meantime, um, I uh, I got uh, contracted with Stephen Joyner. Uh, uh, he's now my publicist, and what a great publicist he is as well. I got to give him the credit. You get to be uh, booked on fine shows like this one. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> yes. And I mean, he he just started promoting me right away. And I mean, I, I've never been in the acting industry or anything. Uh, I took an acting class down in Orlando at a place called Class Act Studios, which they're not paying me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. If you're in the Orlando area and you're looking for a great acting class to start out at, that place is the best place. They're called Class Act Studios and they're wonderful instructors. They're both actors themselves. And they teach the Samford Meisner um, uh, technique of acting. And uh, but I'm Steve has try been trying to get me into voiceovers and stuff. As a matter of fact, I'm working with a voiceover coach uh, right now out of uh, Greenville, named uh, Greenville, South Carolina, named Diane Merritt, and she's a wonderful uh, vocal coach. Okay, and uh, gonna be doing that for a while, and then gonna cut a, a, a voice demo. And hopefully get some uh, decent voiceover work. What was the first impression that you ever did? 
Ringo Starr. Oh, so, I mean, but like, uh, so you did the impersonation, but like, well, even as a kid, like, did you, were you watching something on TV and you imitated it and said, I could try to do that? Like I, for me, I remembered, uh, it was over a weekend. I said, I want to do a Kermit the Frog impression, but I couldn't get the throat. I couldn't right. get it. And, and it took a little bit. And I'm like, hi, ho, hi, ho. And then all of a sudden it just hit me one day. I was like, hi, ho, Kermit the Frog. And it like, I, it got to that point where I'm like, I did it and I put the work in. And right. and then it just it starts to become and you find different things. But the one of the big things with impressions is usually people do an impression of somebody else doing an impression. Exactly. That's how that's how Rich Little even says it. When you when you do an impression, it's actually you doing Rich Little doing an impression of somebody. Mm -hmm. And um, you were speaking of Kermit the Frog. Um, I, I can do Miss Piggy to a certain extent, but. I haven't tried it in a while, but if we'll you have want, to take I can it give out it on my tour, best then. shot. If you want, <laughs> I can give it my best shot. <laughs> but well, but but it was it, it's funny with the impressions though, because I I've had an opportunity to meet Billy West, and Billy right. West is the he did uh, Ren and Stimpy. He did both characters originally, just did Stimpy, but then he took over Ren when John Chris Felusi was kicked out by Nickelodeon. Oh yeah, uh, but he he. The reason he did Stimpy is, and all of, a lot of his characters are somewhat offshoots of the Three Stooges. So the Stimpy mm -hmm. character is Larry Fine, as he calls it, an amped up Larry Fine. So exactly. anytime I would hear him do Larry Fine, it and then I would want to impersonate it. I'm just doing Billy West's version of doing Larry Fine. Hey, hey, Mo, I peed on my shoe and that kind of stuff. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. just it's, so you're just taking on somebody else's impression. But the one big thing is, how do you make that your own? How do you know yeah. that this is not just Billy West or it's not just June Forays and it's not just uh, Mel Blanc's impression of this? How do you make it Zach Arnold's impression? How do you make it Tony Mazur's impression? Well, I mean, one of the impressions I do actually is uh, Paul Lynn from the Hollywood Squares. He was the center square for the longest time. And I've seen so many people do an impression of him. Um, but I, I always look for a trademark something that gives that person their character and a lot of people even i'm not gonna talk down about rich little by any means but what he does is paul lind he he tends to do paul lind like oh get a day job that's disgusting <laughs> but <laughs> what i do is i look for that uh vibration in paul lind's voice so when i say something i'll be like Oh my goodness! <laughs> no wonder it's so bad. And um, what was so I? I love that too because the it, him Charles Nelson Riley and uh, Rip Taylor for for whatever reason the rather flamboyant homosexuals of the seventies all had that that like quivering voice like oh my goodness like you said it's yeah. like uh, <laughs> like oh and. Right. Uh, or, or Alice Ghostly was another one, but it was kind of funny how all of those that it, it just seemed like that was the quote unquote gay voice of the 70s. It and was. therefore, because of that, everybody thought, thinks they can do a Paul Lind impression. Right. But I mean, it's harder than you think, though. I mean, it's it's much harder to like because when I, I'm still having trouble doing uh, Johnny Carson, I, I could never get his voice down. And I mean. They say you got to feel in the character and stuff. And um, so, Johnny, I'm still trying to work out the kinks with. Now, I've, I've been trying to uh, perfect my Ed Sullivan. And if you go on my YouTube channel, you're going can with see all the current short. impressions. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> the YouTube short there. I was in the elevator, actually, in my hotel in Spartanburg just a few weeks ago. And I was looking in the reflection of the wall there in the uh, hotel room or the elevator excuse me and i just started you know and uh you know and i just started going now tonight live right here on this very stage let me tell you i'm gonna have a really 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 big shoe <laughs> something like that and uh but i've been perfecting it here and there um there's a lot of them that I'm still trying to work on. Um, uh, what else do I have? Uh, Jimmy Stewart is one of my greatest that I can hear. Uh, Jimmy Stewart. Now, uh, uh, 
let me see if I can get the facts straight here. Now, uh, Your Honor, I, I, I've been sitting in court now for three days, and I, I just don't know what's been going on. Everybody's been talking at once, and nobody said a word. Okay, now, let, let's see if we can get the facts straight now. Now, they're saying that the knife that was used to kill Sir Regiment was the same knife that was found in Miss Markle's back. However, the facts don't speak for themselves. No, 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 no. So, somebody's lying here. <laughs> <laughs> See, it, it's it's funny because uh, I, I've talked about this before, about what Saturday Night Live does, or at least they, they don't do now, is they have to get on air. And right. now that the writers strike, now that they are going live, they have these people who do the the impressions, but there's not a lot of, I guess, quote unquote, love behind them. And right. I've heard Martin Short tell the story about him doing the Jerry Lewis impression, which is, uh, it, uh, it's not just an impression. He's not doing ladies. He's, it's- Hey, like, ladies. <laughs> he's, he's like all over the stage. Like when he does right. the, the Champs-Elysees on uh, SCTV, and it's so funny because he's doing the impression, but he's doing a couple of Jerry's. He's doing the one where everyone says it's the lozenge in his mouth. Where it's like, as a filmmaker, and he he, right. he does that. But the reason you're able to do an impression like that is because you actually have some kind of affection for that person. And I think right. those are the best impressions. You can't just say, hey, uh, this weekend you're going to do Donald Trump on Saturday Night Live. OK, I guess I got to brush up on my Trump ease or the cadence. Yeah. It's a lot of it is. I am a big Jerry Lewis fan. I'm a big Jimmy Stewart fan. I'm a big Johnny Carson fan. It's taken me years to get to this point and perfect the certain the tone, the cadence, the the right. jokes, um, and finding out a little bit more about who the person is. Maybe the dialect. Maybe where you know Johnny was from Iowa. Uh, maybe there's a little bit of Iowa that goes along with it, or other people who've come from the middle of the country. And that's right. what makes those impressions so much more enjoyable. Uh, Dave Thomas was another one from also from SCTV. I had on my podcast. He mm -hmm. does the perfect Bob Hope impression. Perfect. Bob Hope's a hard one to get down, though. But it's perfect. I mean, it, mm -hmm. like, obviously, it's you can clearly tell it's Dave Thomas doing it. But right. I, I can't. There have been so many people who do that. Hey, isn't that something? Everyone does it. Bob Texaco Hope. But right. He does the perfect impression and it dates the impression of here's the young Bob, here's the Vietnam War Bob, and here's the 1990s Bob when he should have hung it up 20 years ago. And right. it works. And he said, the only we reason I could do something like that is I actually really enjoy, I love Bob Hope. I loved his movies. I loved his specials and everything. And the reason I was able to do that is because I did have a soft spot for him. Right. And I mean, I, I love Bob Hope as well. I mean, I, I've seen, uh, what was that one that he and Bing Crosby did together? Uh, Morocco or whatever. Road to Morocco. Yes. Road to Morocco. And then the road I, to every, every place else on earth. <laughs> oh yeah. I saw that and I loved it. It's, I only, but I saw it maybe last time I saw it was, I guess maybe four or five years ago. So, I mean, I haven't, obviously I haven't seen it in a few years, but I love to pull it out of my DVD archives and, watch it again um another one of my favorite movies uh uh also with one of my favorite comedy duos was walter Matthau and jack lemon of course um, grumpy old man uh, odd couple odd couple two but i have yet to see the fortune cookie I, I cannot believe i did not see that one yet that's the football one where he's the cameraman i believe so yes i think that was filmed in uh my neck of the woods here in cleveland ohio a little bit oh wow because I think the Browns were involved. Yeah, it's the the one thing is you mentioned about Lemon and Mathau. And of course, you can even throw in Jack Klugman as well. And oh, Tony yeah. Randall is that in those days we had TV shows where you had Will Jordan, you had um, Marilyn Michaels, you had um, uh, uh, J uh, uh, John Biner, who has also been on my podcast. And oh, wow. Uh, uh, Rich Little, Frank Gorshin. These were impressionists. And there was at one time you would do like. So if Johnny Carson walked into a bar, it would sound something like this. And then comedy evolved or I don't know, maybe devolved by after the 1980s where you were considered a hack. And, you know, I, I do stand up yeah. and I never hear anybody do impressions of anybody on stage. Rarely, like maybe Pablo Francisco uh, does a little bit of that. I've seen him or, of course, Frank Caliendo. But for the most part, 
comics, it's like that's the hack thing. It's either you pull a guitar out on stage or you're doing impressions of something. And that's I don't understand why that's become hack, because at one time that was the thing you did. It's like, here's here's what it would sound like if Jack Nicholson were the captain of a pirate ship, that kind of stuff. And we don't have that nowadays. Right. I mean, you nowadays, you know, I mean, I do it the old fashioned way, like Rich Little does. You know, I'll go up there. And I'll say a line at somebody or I'll sing a little bit of a song, but I'll turn it into a comedy sketch, you know. And um, another one of my favorites to do is Andy Rooney. Uh, you remember him, 60 oh, Minutes, yeah. that mm-hmm. little lazy curmudgeon you'd see at the end. But the thing is with Andy was he was always wondering things. I mean, for an intellectual, he sure as heck questions a lot of things like um why do they sterilize needles for lethal injections? I don't understand that at all. And while we're on the subject of lethal injections, here's something else that puzzles me. Why do they conduct autopsies on condemned inmates? Do you ever think about this? This is stupid. Isn't it obvious what the cause of death really was? Dumb. Just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was, it, it's funny because when you're a, when you're a comic who does impressions, it's if you can nail the impression, that's like the first part. The rest is now the material. What can you do to right. make it again? Like I said, your own impression. And I know John Biner used to do this bit uh, where it was he was doing the Ed Sullivan show, but they only had five minutes to do the show. So right. they would bring Martin and Lewis, lady, do this. Okay, all right, all right. Topo Gijo comes out, and right. all this, and you're, and then he does the Johnny Mathis impression, and it's really good. So it's how you can make it your own. Yeah, okay, you can do an impression, but what can you do to make people laugh? That's going to be like an homage to the to the person you're impersonating, right? Uh, that and make it your own. Uh, Frank Caliendo does that too when mm-hmm. he's on stage, oh, yeah. where you can't just go. I'm going to do John Madden's voice or I'm going to do Adam Sandler or Chris Rock. It's how do you make it into a comedy bit? What if you invited all those characters on stage and it turns into like a multiple personality show? Exactly. I mean, that's where you have to be careful with doing impressions these days, because, I mean, you're going to get the critics that are saying, oh, he doesn't sound anything like them or there's it's not funny i mean he's doing the voice and it's not funny he doesn't have any humorous material so but then you know there's other people that'll say like steve told me this for example steve joiner he told me you're gonna have your critics but it, it doesn't really matter what they think what matters is that you believe in yourself and that you believe that you're bringing the audience the entertainment that you feel they enjoy and if they don't mm-hmm. like it, then that's on them because you're going to have your haters. You're going to have your your followers. But in the end, it all stems from one thing, which is believing in yourself. I guess the biggest thing when it comes to doing impressions nowadays, because, again, you're mentioning people now that Jimmy Stewart's been dead since 1997. Johnny right. Carson since 05. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Sullivan for about 50 years now. Oh, yeah. And. It obviously, and Paul Lynn's been dead for over 40 years. These right. are, but, but they're people who had distinct voices. Yes. And a lot of it came from that mid Atlantic, the uh, almost a, a mix between a New England and a posh British accent that, like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, what are you doing here, you lousy screw? And, you know, that kind of stuff where it was, uh, which, which I read about the Catherine Hepburn impression and, and the voice is that it was no if you're british or you're from georgia that you had a shared dialect a shared inflection that you were going on stage with and that everybody kind of knew and that's why all those 30s 40s early 50s movies kind of sounded like that leading up to marlon brando and uh, right. james dean and uh, the problem is nowadays is again we mention all those acts that and, and the acts and the entertainers that are long gone they're long dead and today's Hollywood doesn't have that. Like They don't have a trademark. They're yeah. all playing the same character in every single thing. Like, Whereas do, do, John like, Wayne, do, do Jimmy it. Stewart, all of them would play these dip- – they were so different in every single role they played. Can you do Whereas, a George Clooney impression right now? What's that? Can you do George Clooney? No, and, no. And my, I, my I, answer I, to that is – 
who can? Like if somebody goes on stage says, here's my George Clooney, how would you know the difference? How would you know the exactly. difference between that? Uh, 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 someone goes on stage, I'm Ryan Gosling. I'm mm -hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm insert almost anybody, male, female, anybody. And right. we just don't have those personalities that have that distinct voice, that distinct background. The like, uh, And I think a lot of it is because of the lack of star power where back in the day, and I, I talked about this in my podcast last week with my friend Ashley, is you went to go to the movies back in the day because you saw the star, not necessarily the movie. The movie could stink. If you were a big Humphrey Bogart fan, but you knew Humphrey Bogart had a movie coming out, this movie could bomb. This movie could be terrible. You walk away and say, ah, that wasn't really that good. But you right. still went because of who the person you were going to see that was starring in it. And exactly. I, I just don't see we have that kind of star power nowadays. And no, we don't. Probably why we don't have impression power either. Right. And I mean, you you mentioned Catherine Hepburn a little bit ago. Um, she had a very, very distinct voice, which, I mean, if you were to hear her on a radio, you know, you'd think, that's Catherine Hepburn, because I mean, you know, she had that oh, you know, that that jittery no, sound, that her voice. voice. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You. And, you're my knight in shining armor. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I I do yoga all the time. However, uh, if you want to talk to me, you're gonna have to stand on your head. So, <laughs> I mean, another voice that I really love doing, and I mean. I throw people off with this all the time. Um, I usually use it when somebody's irritating the living crap out of me. Um, you remember Dr. Ruth Westheimer? Oh, she yes, Dr. Ruth. was the little curmudgeon sex therapist back in the day. I, I Somebody can stand there and just irritate the crap out of me. And out of nowhere, they'll try to get some sort of reaction out of me. And eventually, I'll just look at them and go, you know, it's not a very nice thing to be bothering people like this. I think you should just go away. <laughs> and they they just stand there like, and then they just turn around and walk away. Then they're looking at each other like, who is that? You know, <laughs> but I'm standing there laughing because I caught them off guard with a voice. And it's like, you can catch people off guard so easily and the reaction you get out of them is sometimes they, they they'll laugh. Sometimes they'll, they'll yell back or sometimes they'll just do what those, that those people I was telling you about did. you know, what the? <laughs> you mentioned Dr. Ruth and I, I shouldn't do this just because I, I cursed Richard Mole from uh, Night Court. I just mm -hmm. talked about him last week. I said, well, Richard Mole's still alive. Nope, not anymore. Uh, so I can't say that because uh, Dr. Ruth is still alive. Right. As of this recording, she was born 1928. <laughs> She's 95 mm -hmm. years old. So, uh, yeah. So it's amazing uh, that you said that, too, because I had a similar experience. And to this day, my my uh, my fiance and my stepkids, they still hold this grudge against me. We were uh, traveling, my my girl, my fiance and I were traveling down the Florida Turnpike one night coming home. And we were talking about, you know, people that are so old that are still alive. And I said, I can't believe Muhammad Ali is still around. And the very next night, the news flash came on. He passed away. Yep. And everybody's like, you killed him. <laughs> And I'm yeah, like, it's always it's always that it's everybody has to jump on. I mean, I I can't tell you the amount of people I've done that to. I, Don Rickles was one of them. Uh, Gerald yeah, Ford, Rickles, I remembered. Hockey puck, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you like, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 37 now. So you're 37, but you have this appreciation for old Hollywood. Was that something that you were raised with that you you, you watch maybe like Turner Classic Movies or, or, or uh, AMC back in the day? Did your parents get you onto it? Like, uh, how did you get that appreciation for the, the was, old, like the golden age of Hollywood? I'm going to blame my parents and my late uncle on that one. Because, <laughs> I mean, when we were like, for example, with my music influence, we would be riding in the car and. My dad and mom would always have the oldies station on from like the 50s and the 60s. 
And uh, my uncle, my late uncle, who passed away sadly in 2018, he brought me up on the Beatles. And the first time I ever saw any of the Beatles, period, was in the kids' show, Shining Time Station, with Ringo. Yeah, Ring Conductor. Ringo, before before he had to go to rehab. Yeah. I'm how, actually, how weird I is, think he had just gotten out of rehab uh, yeah. at the time. Yeah, how weird yeah. is it that Ringo had to go to rehab and everything, and then, but he's, yeah, he's the conductor in Shining Time Station with Thomas the Tank Engine, and then uh, they get another guy who also had problems in George Carlin. So it's like, yeah. and then they bring Alec Baldwin, and we're like, God, is there, some, is there a curse with this show? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, but I was that I I was that little at that little age that I thought that Mr. Conductor was actually in real life eighteen inches tall. I thought Ringo was actually in real life eighteen inches tall. And I'm, I remember he not, he's not the tallest guy, but I think he might be a little taller than that. Yeah, exactly. I think he maybe about an inch or so. But <laughs> um, the. Uh, but I remember saying to my mom, I was like, because I was like, I really like Mr. Conductor. And she was like, oh, you, oh, well, you know who that is, right? I'm like, no. She goes, he, his name is Ringo Starr. He was the drummer for the Beatles. And I'm like, who are the Beatles? She was like, they're your Uncle Greg's favorite band. And as I grew up, I learned to appreciate their music. And then in 2000. 11 or 2012 uh my my parents and my uncle and i took a trip overseas on the beetle pilgrimage tour and we we went to three locations there we went to liverpool london and hamburg and on our first night in liverpool um we went over to the cavern club and oh, yes. i was I was speaking to a gentleman there. I didn't know he was the headliner of the night on the stage, but I was telling him that I was, because at the time I was playing with Beatlemania, The Invasion. And I had mentioned to him that I was a tribute artist from the States. And I just went about my business and stuff, you know, hanging out. And then um, th this gentleman gets up on stage and he says, I understand we have, uh, I was talking to a gentleman a little bit ago, says he's uh, in a tribute band in the States or are you still here? And I went, I'm right here. He goes, you want to come on up and sing a song? So I'm like, what? You know, because being invited up to, on the stage of the world-renowned Cavern Club. And a uh, funny story about that. My uncle was actually over at the gift shop area getting souvenirs like T-shirts and stuff. And he heard me being called up to the stage and he told me he was thinking that little son of a, what a <laughs> what a lucky guy he is. And then I got up there and I said to the musician that night, his name was Paul David Jones. And I said, is it OK if my uncle comes up here with me? Because he's the one who got me into this in the first place. He goes, sure. What's your uncle's name? I said, just call him Uncle Greg. He gets on the microphone and goes, uh uh mr mr zach here would like his uncle greg to come up here with him greg told me when he heard that he had a pile like a handful of t-shirts and stuff and the lady the employee there is still getting stuff out of the 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 display cases for him when he heard that he said he just tossed her all the stuff and said i'll be right back <laughs> and ran up onto the stage and the cavern has those really like low low uh, ceilings archways that go up to the stage he almost hit his head on the arch heading up there do you but guys think i don't it, it don't come easy no we did imagine actually oh okay yeah we did imagine uh paul david jones played the guitar and my uncle greg and i sang uh we did the raw one mic thing like the beatles did and uh i have some photos of it if you want me to send them to you to put up here for on visual for post-production uh, yeah well uh, th yes. that's what's that's what's interesting because for the beatles i was somebody that i i wasn't necessarily raised on beatles i knew about them but um I, my feeling was i'm because I, I love the beatles later stuff i yes. i like the more experimental stuff i like the uh, ravi shankar era of uh where they were trying a couple of different things i mean there was some stuff that was way out there but like yeah. something like while my guitar gently weeps 
absolutely, it, it it makes everything else like I want to hold your hand just pales that in comparison. You're talking about a band that in just a couple of years developed that much from being teeny bopper band on Ed Sullivan to, yeah, here's George Harrison really shredding on the guitar if he needs to. And it's, it, it's fantastic. And that's where right. I think a lot of people who end up being Beatle haters or they say they're overrated have to understand they have to look at the whole scope of it but i mean i could be wrong here but it seemed like they did a lot of that early pop stuff just to kind of get popular and then they're right. like okay we've achieved this level of popularity now we could do what we really want let's take it to the next step and paul mccartney even said that you know the touring really got to them because they wanted they had all these great ideas for all these unique sounds and instruments in mind but they couldn't hear themselves playing over the audience and they were starting to have tension between them. So they said, we want to just retreat into the studio. We want to lay down an album that is going to be so advanced, so incredible, something that nobody has ever heard before, something that will literally take our listeners to another dimension when they hear it. And that turned out to be Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which still to this day is the best-selling album of all time. I, and I assume you're of the camp, since you do Ringo impersonations, that you think that... you, you Do you fight with people online that say that Ringo wasn't a good drummer? I, I used to, but I stay <laughs> out of that now because I I don't I don't care what other people say. I, I know in my heart what what the truth is, and... You know, as long as I I know it, you know, I don't care what the uh, what the world thinks of it. He kept um, great time. That's all you need, yeah. right? Absolutely. And I mean, uh, he, look, he may he may not be Charlie Watts, but there were two different types of drummers. Right. I mean, Keith Moon, for example. I mean, Keith Moon and Ringo got along great. And his probably you know, his son much. Zach is now <laughs> with the Who. Yeah. His son, Zach Starkey, is now the drummer of the Who. And um Ringo said that Keith Moon was Uncle Keith to uh to Zach. And uh but you know he he never he never looked down on other drummers. He never looked down on other musicians. You know, he would he would offer advice to people and he would, you know, if you wanted to ask him a question or something, he'd answer. And he'd say, you know, I I just want to help, you know, up and coming musicians to be able to advance themselves. And, you know, I, I mean, granted, he doesn't do that anymore because he doesn't, you know, accept fan mail. Um, but, you know, he's a, he's a really nice guy in reality though. Who's, who's post Beatles career. Did you enjoy more? Oh, that's a hard one. That's a really, really hard one. I can't just pick one. Honestly, Tony, I'd have to say, I love them. I honestly love them all. Because they all um, went in different directions because Paul did the more uh, radio friendly stuff. Right. John experimented, but there were a couple of different things that he did that were interesting. Uh, of course, not long after the Beatles broke up, My Sweet Lord comes out by George Harrison. Yes. And then Ringo, you know, for how many years has been doing the all star band. Right. And I think Ringo Ringo's always had that self-awareness of. Look, I, I realize I'm not the, the front man of the Beatles. I realize that I, I'm the drummer, but I also have a load of friends and, and family and everything to be a part of. Let's go out on tour and play these old songs. Uh, let's right. let's and, bring, uh, uh, you know, uh, Rick Derringer on tour. Let's bring uh, Edgar you know, some of these other people. Uh, yeah, uh, Jeff Lynn Steve, from ELO. Steve Lukather was just with him of Toto. Mm -hmm. And uh, Gary, uh, what was his name? Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, Gary Greg Wright. Raleigh of, uh, oh. yes, Gary Wright, Greg Raleigh, the lead singer of Santana, uh, Richard Page, of course, of Mr. Mister, really great, great singer. And of course, yeah, there was Rick Derringer and he had uh, Colin Hay from uh, Men at Work, uh, Paul Correct from uh, uh, Mike and the Mechanics and Ace. And he had, oh my gosh, the list goes on and on. And Sheila E., you know, the world renowned drummer. The Latin drummer Sheila E. She was with yep. him. Todd Rundgren, times. I believe, as well. Yes, yes. So, I mean, it, it's just that—that's what made it so great. And uh, uh, and then, of course, then then you had the traveling Wilburys, and you had like, George Harrison coming back in the '80s. He had that "Got My Mind Set on You," and you're like, right, 
But here's what I didn't know, and I don't know if you know this. They used to play that during the Beatles era as what? kind of like a goofy in-between songs or like as a warm-up. And then mm-hmm. that song had been floating around for a while, and he finally recorded it in the 80s. Right. I mean, all things, uh, but also all things must pass backtrack into the 70s. You mm-hmm. know, the, um, one of the big reasons I learned that George uh, was so keen at the time to get out of the Beatles was because he had finally had this inspiration of all this songwriting and he developed a unique way uh, to write songs. And but however, with all of the songs by, you know, Lennon and McCartney, it was so hard to get one Harrison track on there. And eventually, you know, John said um, something on uh, Abbey Road, which Frank Sinatra has coined as his favorite Lennon McCartney song mm-hmm. and not Harrison. But um, he John said this one's going to be a single because George did wonderful on this one. And then. But then George had this entire backlog of things. He had All Things Must Pass, which they did rehearse in the Let It Be sessions, um, which also, you, if you see the the uh, Peter Jackson documentary, got uh, get that. You know, George actually plays uh, some of uh, uh, All Things Must Pass in that uh, as a warm-up and stuff. But you can see the other three just are like, eh, it's not for this album. So when he, that's why All Things Must Pass was released as a three, uh, three record album because he had okay. all these back, all this backlog. And Phil Spector said to him, you know, hey, get it out, get it out there. That way you can make room to write new songs. And so he said, yeah, you're right. And uh, he, he didn't like the- Wawa at first, though. He did not like the song Wawa mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason. And Eric Clapton said, well, I think it's awesome. And George said, well, then you have it on your album. <laughs> but George was. Well, they do have good sandwiches. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I want to get back to, to, about a little bit more impressions and voice acting and stuff like that. So for folks who are only listening to this right now, you're a gentleman of Asian descent. Yes. I'm so from uh, you, Seoul, South you... Korea. Do you find that could be a potential like stumbling block, like a blockade for you as you try to advance? Or do you think nowadays that it almost doesn't matter? Like I can do an impression and I can be behind a microphone and people can hear me and it doesn't really matter what I look like in real life. Like how, how do you feel about that? Is that something that you're concerned about or are you not? In a way I am, but I, I look at it this way. You know, if I'm up there to entertain you, I'm not up there for you to judge me by my looks. I mean, yeah. it, what what I'm there for is to entertain you and make give you guys a good laugh. And if you're gonna say, "Oh, well, he can't do that," it's that's not right. He's Asian, you know. You know, I I don't I don't go into the whole like race like thing, but hmm. you know, I would take that as offensive because because i mean over time now we've had uh, a lot of people like mike henry from family guy trade in his who was a white guy voicing cleveland who's a black gentleman and now a black gentleman is voicing cleveland because of how that goes how did you feel about that and like does that matter to you uh like does there need to be more representation like if there's an asian character that's voiced by a white person or anybody else does that bother you or do you do you feel that that could be your potential in there (laughs) i think that honestly any who anyone who has talent okay anyone who has talent and who believes in entertaining for a living or anyone just entertaining in general everyone has the right to be whatever they want to be whoever they want to be and it shouldn't matter what people think of you and you know i just think it's it's ridiculous how some people can be so narrow-minded to judge like that but in reality i'm not really i'm a little concerned but overall i i could care less because we've so. seen that over time where I, I remember there was um uh I, I do you remember Super Dave? Super Dave Osborne, yes. Yeah. So he had the show Bizarre and then had his own spin-off show and then even had a cartoon show that was in the early 90s. And his sidekick is a is an Asian guy named Fuji. Mm-hmm. And 
I forgot what the guy's name was, but a Canadian actor. He just passed away, I think, like last year, maybe a couple of months ago. And his voice that he was using for Fuji was really, really like Charlie Chan over the top Asian. And uh, but because it was on Showtime and in the 1980s, things were a little less PC than they are nowadays when they brought the same character to. Uh, I, I think I don't remember what channel it was, but it was the production company was Deek D I C, yeah. And the Super Dave show, there was a huge amount of complaints for a kids show to have a wildly stereotypical Asian voice that's used for the Fuji character. And right. I think it only lasted about a, a full season, so like 12, 13 episodes. And halfway through, they had to change the Fuji voice to a little less uh, truly like you hear that now, like in a kid's show, you're like, Oh, I watched this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, they got away with that too for, for seven episodes. Right. I mean, talking about like, you know, also uh, I was just watching a video. This is sort of going along the lines of it, but I mean, it's, it has to do with, you know, crossing boundary lines, like with inappropriate language or inappropriate names and stuff. Uh, dinosaurs in the in the 90s mm-hmm. uh, the Sinclair family Kevin Clash played uh, baby Sinclair and uh, but he also played the reporter of the local news whose name was Howard hand up me and <laughs> I, I, he made a good point he said I couldn't believe we got away with that in primetime television but they did and you know I think there's a way to work around stuff like that. You know, but even Rocco's of, Modern Life, they went to the Choky Chicken for their yeah. fast food place. And you're like, yeah, wow, that uh, I'm surprised they got away with the. There's a lot of innuendo in Rocco and some of those early Nickelodeon shows, but uh, right, yeah, <laughs> that's there, hilarious. There is. I mean, there's always been that though. So, I mean, you know, even uh, Tiny Toon Adventures was seen as a poor version uh, a poor attempt at a looney tunes rep- replication but hey kids loved it i loved it i still love it i mean if i can find reruns or anything i'll watch it they did a good job of what when they started bringing these back with steven spielberg and uh mm-hmm. was it uh amblin or or i, I don't remember or it might have been dreamworks i'm not sure the uh the production company but they did a great homage of what they did with Tiny Toons and Animaniacs because they right. actually went to the old Warner Brothers studios and had full orchestras the way the old Mel Blanc uh, Looney Tunes were back in the day. Yeah. So it's not yeah, like it's not like they were just saying like, hey, let's update these characters, kind of what they're doing nowadays, where they're just really pale, you know, imitations of what they used to be. But yeah at least in the early 90s, they tried to keep that homage in the new golden age of animation. Right, right. And that's, I mean, Spielberg even said that himself. He said, you know, he wanted to keep in the spirit of the of the original uh, Looney Tunes because, I mean, Mel Blanc was a friend of his. He, he loved Mel Blanc. Um, but unfortunately at the time, you know, Mel Blanc was, he was up there in age and he was on his way out. Um but I know Spielberg is all original. I mean, that's also I, I'm I'm thinking also that might be why he's not really doing much these days because he's he he sticks to the original formats and stuff. And people are saying, well, that stuff's on its way out. I mean, look, we've got AI now and stuff. Um, but it's funny that you should mention Spielberg and Amblin because we were talking Jerry Lewis earlier, and Jerry Lewis actually. Uh, taught a class, an acting class. Uh, yes. I, I, and Steven Spielberg was one of his students. Along with George Lucas. Yes, George Lucas as well. Um, and of course, Jerry Lewis invented the uh, video assist uh, feature, which now studios cannot live without. And, you know, it's, it's Steven Spielberg even said himself, there should be a note, uh, a note on the... Uh, on every camera or every monitor, Jerry Lewis invented this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I happen to agree with him. I mean, Jerry was one of the greatest movie actors of all time. I mean, his behind the scenes, his his life and his family life was was a dark one, but on screen he was brilliant. There was, it's funny you say that because it took me many, many years, almost until a couple of years before he died to get Jerry Lewis. 
And oh, wow. kind of like with Bob Hope, Bob Hope was for one t- uh, particular generation of silent generation, born in the 30s. You grew up, uh, maybe you you were a war veteran and Bob Hope flew overseas and, you know, brought, right. uh, hey, it's a Lola Heatherton, uh, you know, uh, you know, I say that that's the old SCTV joke that uh, Dave yeah. Thomas did, but uh, obviously Joey Heatherton, Lola Falana. Um, but uh, they would do all these different uh, things. And it, like Bob Hope was like beloved by one generation. And then it took until Vietnam that people were like, I don't like Bob Hope anymore. I'm not a big fan. Yeah. I don't like him. He's too war hawkish. He's too this, too pro Nixon. He's too whatever. And you, you kind of see how certain generations just dropped off with that. And the same with Jerry Lewis. There was yes. for people born in the 50s, Jerry Lewis was God, like mm-hmm. whether lowercase or capital G, he was God right. to them. And then after that, it just it wasn't Jerry Lewis day anymore. And he was just known as the telethon guy for so many years. And yeah. so I knew him as telethon guy. And that th- I remember that one year he was bloated on the steroids and stuff. It didn't look good, yeah. but it took me to really appreciate it. Uh, about who Jerry Lewis was and more than just King of Comedy because he was just playing himself in that movie. Right, but right. I'll tell you, there was one clip in particular and it was a Family Guy clip, I believe from the Aaron Boy, that Family Guy did Peter. Peter Griffin was doing Jerry Lewis uh, in all of his mannerisms during that scene, the, the pantomime scene. Right. And the, somebody put it side by side and it was so funny to watch Jerry Lewis I, I might have to actually pull it up if I can. Um, that Jerry was more cartoonish than the cartoon. Yeah, it was incredible to watch that. Yes, it was. Um, and uh, I mean, Jerry was just comic. He was he was the clown, you know. But when he did the Nutty Professor, the reason he came up with Buddy Love's character is because with Dean Martin, you know, Dean was the straight man and the cool crooner and Jerry was just a crazy kid. And in the nutty professor, you know, professor Kelp was just this rotten scientist that knew nothing about anything. Mm-hmm. And there, therefore he needed somebody else in the film to kind of sort of compliment that character, but he wanted it more like Dean, which is why yeah. he made the character of Buddy Love, and, and and Buddy Love was what kind of Jerry Lewis always wanted to be the the right. womanizer the which in a lot of ways it was what he was like in real life. But uh, so I, for folks watching on the audio, I'm playing the uh, the video of Jerry Lewis and Peter back and forth doing this, and it truly is amazing that they couldn't even get the cartoon to look as cartoonish as Jerry Lewis. Right, it's truly incredible. But they also do a good job of animating it, but. It was when I was watching this clip, I got it. I completely got because pantomime was at one time there was a big, big thing. And that's how a lot of people started get, getting a little bit of local notoriety in New York. But I, it, it it took me a while. And it's amazing. It took me 70 years since Jerry Lewis got famous for me to go, I get it now. Oh, my goodness. And there's there, there's a lot of those that to truly appreciate from uh, people. And you and I are roughly around the same age. I'm 35. Right. But uh, I was also raised on a lot of this stuff, the golden age of Hollywood and really enjoying it. And also looking at today's Hollywood by comparison and going, yeah, this is why I keep going back to the old days. Yeah, because, I mean, somebody says, hey, you know, do an impression of, you know, Dustin Hoffman. And I'll say. Dustin Hoffman doing what, you know, or Al Pacino's Al Pacino's the big one. Oh, yeah. Which Al Pacino you want? Godfather Pacino or do you want son of a woman Pacino? Right. Or do you want, you know, uh, or I mean, do you want, you know, Dick Tracy, Big Boy Caprice or whatever? I mean, it's just everything with today's actors is the same. And I mean, they might look like they're playing different characters, but when you stop and you listen to what they're doing and saying, you think this is nothing new. You know, it's nothing. They're they're the same old character just with a different name practically mm-hmm. and uh i mean i just i can't believe that you know the the golden age of hollywood is of course long gone but i don't know why you know hollywood has become the way it has because i think our 
influences and in our uh, motion picture industry was booming back during the golden age of Hollywood. And nowadays it's just like everything. I mean, Marvel and, uh, you know, everything like that. Star that's, Wars. Yeah. I mean, that's all fine and dandy, but I mean, we're talking, when we talk about like actual films, like with, I mean, I know they're coming out with a lot of like biopics now and uh, stuff like that, but I mean, I'll be honest with you, uh, Tony rocket man with, uh, uh, Taron Eagleton as Elton John. That was pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, so, well, the same with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody with uh, yeah, oh, Robbie yes. Malik. And uh, um, Elton John actually uh, picked Taron Eagleton for the part. He handpicked him himself because he heard him singing a version of your song. And he said, he sounds more like me than I do. <laughs> yeah. So Well, and I, and you mentioned about Hollywood, but I, I I hate to say a, a, a fairly simplistic and easy answer to this, but I think it's just we have too many options now for entertainment. At we one do. time, you wanted to take a date out on Friday night, you go to the movies. I what else are you going to do? You go to the movies, you go out to eat. That's basically it, uh, other than, you know, go, going to the back of the car. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, or you if know, you go out to the to eat first, then you go to the movie, you're going to the bathroom every like 10 minutes because that dinner's catching up to you. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, I, those, I, those I burritos feel it, and the spicy but, sausage. <laughs> but but it, that's what it was it, that we had so few options for entertainment. And that's why uh, how many million of millions of people like tens of millions of people watched the MASH finale that watched right. Roots. They were uh, other than the Super Bowl. It was a collective place where it doesn't matter your your skin color doesn't matter creed doesn't matter race doesn't matter uh sexuality anything like that we all got together and shared this common uh cultural moment we don't have that right. anymore because and it's like that in sports i've talked about this many times too uh the commissioner of the nba adam silver just came out and said uh there he's afraid that young people are not going to have an opportunity to watch uh, the NBA now because people don't have cable. And I'm like, well, first of all, commissioner, people can still watch the NBA. They're doing so illegally. So they'll find yeah. different options to do that. But second of all, if you want to watch, uh, uh, like I remember during COVID that they shut a lot of the leagues down. So what I did, was, I watched old games. I couldn't mm -hmm. go back and say, let me see. I'll find a, how about an Oakland A's game from 1988 where they faced the California Angels? And sure enough, I could find that of teams of guys I grew up watching and everything like that. I could watch a full game if I want to, and I can skip ahead. So we have so many other options as far as entertainment that goes against sports. It goes against uh, uh, movies. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah. podcasts like this. That, I mean, we've done basically an hour's worth of material right now that some people would have used this just you know five years ago. Is right. oh I'm going to catch up on my shows or I'm going to watch a movie instead they're going to watch a podcast like this on YouTube mm -hmm. because we have so many different options and I think it, the the behemoth that is YouTube and all these other options are pretty detrimental to the old the old guard. It is it is, but I mean what I frankly about YouTube though which I can say in its defense however is. You know, so many people out there have such an aspiration to make something out of themselves, to be a star, whereas YouTube kind of gives you that platform to be able to establish yourself. And I mean, some people, uh, you know, they've, they've found a lot of, uh, you know, musicians and rappers and stuff from YouTube. They found, uh, you know, other actors and stuff from YouTube and I mean, just giving yourself a platform on YouTube, you know, gets you out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and a lot of people are on the go. They can't sit back and watch TV. So they'll listen to a podcast while mm -hmm. they're on their way to work. They're working out. They're at work. They can't sit around and watch TV all day. And that's right. kind of one of the things that really harms Hollywood. And uh, uh, but you will when I the collective you will go see a Marvel movie because it's in 3D. It's at the IMAX theater and it's uh, it's twenty dollars and you have uh, the the glasses to watch and everything. It turns into like a whole spectacle. It's an event. So that's why yeah, people exactly. enjoy going there. That you can't. What what is something you can you can't get anywhere else? However, the days of the rom com. Those are Netflix only. They're on mm -hmm. Hulu only, Amazon only, or you can watch them 
what, 31 days of December because they'll do Christmas movies with the same concept. <laughs> it's right. like you don't need the rom-com. You don't need to go to the theater and say, hey, let's see the new Julia Roberts movie. No, that's not a thing anymore. Exactly. I mean, you know, but back in the day, you know, it was all I mean, when, uh, you know, for example, like the Alfred Hitchcock films with like Vertigo with Jimmy Stewart and, you know, North by Northwest, when those came out in theaters, you know, I mean, back then also a lot of small towns only had one movie theater for the whole town. And it would be the talk of the town when the new Alfred Hitchcock or Ingrid Bergman film would show up and people would would line up out the door to to wait to see that film because they that was back then you know they were they were so into getting into a routine okay well friday night's our movie afternoon we're gonna catch the matinee mm -hmm. you know wash day on saturday and the chicken dinner on sunday after church and stuff i mean back then it was all tradition Nowadays, it's like, oh, I got, I, I just got home from work. I'm tired. I'm gonna put my feet up and just, you know, play a video game or, you know, watch, you know, watch Netflix or whatever. But I mean, I, I don't, I don't agree with a lot of the things that are going on in the society of entertainment these days. I mean, I mean, granted, I wasn't around in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, but to be brought up by, you know, an awesome family who was there and lived through that i felt that as though i was experiencing it through that exactly uh it's you know it's a shame but uh i guess we'll have to keep these uh these ongoing well zach i really appreciate you joining the podcast and if you don't mind if you don't mind indulging me in some other impressions that you have can you plug your youtube uh, like all of your social media anything like that but in different voices sure i could do that I could do that. Uh, well, this is Richard Mulhouse Nixon. And uh, I want to tell you, oh, you need to go on and look at me on Facebook. You can just find me under Zach Arnold. However, there are several Zach Arnolds out there. So just be careful which one you choose. And, and then... Uh, uh, well, uh, this is Ronald Reagan. Uh, you know, you can find uh, you can find Zach Arnold on YouTube at The Incredible Impression. That's www.youtube.com slash at The Incredible Impression. Now it's time for my nap. And uh, one more politician. That was a good Reagan. What's that? That was a very good Reagan. Thank you very much. And Dr. Phil here. Now, I know that that you enjoyed this podcast today, okay? But the thing is, you need to go and check out Zach on Instagram at fab-zach for the number four, E-V-R. That's fab-zach forever. Uh, that, that that's great uh, by, by the way i saw you see, I see this mr rogers thing it reminded me of uh, i was a huge mr rogers fan growing up <clears throat> and we were uh we had some family friends and we went over to idlewild park over in outside of Pennsylvania or pittsburgh right and uh for, for a couple of reasons because uh, i always wanted to try a smiley cookie from eaton park which you know, it's whatever the, the show smiley was cookie. sponsored by that if, yeah. And uh, so I wanted to go and they had the miss. So they had the storybook forest and Mr. Rogers neighborhood. So you got mm -hmm. to go on the little, little train and go through the area with the castles. This is gosh, maybe 1992, 93, something like that. They have and something so similar to that at Kennywood, I think, or something. Yeah, like I that. think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the wild had this, which is, uh, it was a Greensburg or Seton Hill or something like that in the area. I don't remember. And so we got to go on the train ride and go through Mr. Rogers neighborhood and got, got to see King Friday and all I'm like, Oh, this is great. And then the ride was over. And, uh, I, I guess, and I remember doing this, I threw a fit because Mr. Rogers wasn't there that day. Really? <laughs> and I was so mad. I like, 
I, I still remember a little bit. I think my parents are trying to like, like try to cheer me up, but also say like, you're embarrassing us in the park. Like what's the matter with you? But I was, and I wasn't that kind of kid. I was actually a very good kid. Quiet. My brother was the malcontent, but <laughs> I was the one who was way out of control because Mr. Rogers, where are you, Fred? You couldn't show up. We drove two and a half hours from Ohio to come on over here and you can't show up you son of a so no i but uh just it just reminded me of that i thought it was kind of funny and uh one uh, more thing about mr rogers though when i was a kid i actually wrote a letter to him because i live i grew up in the hershey pennsylvania area okay and i actually uh my mom typed up the, a letter to him we both you know sat down on computer the old macintosh back in the day and uh decided what we were going to say to him and I sent it in. Well, at the time, I did not know that Fred answered every single piece of mail he received. And he sent me an entire packet of things like with uh, behind the a little booklet of behind the scenes. He sent me pictures autographed by Mr. McFeely, Lady Aberlin, Handyman Negri, Chef Rocket, and one of him. And unfortunately, I don't have those anymore. But I did meet Mr. McFeely as well back in, I think it might have been 2000 uh, or 1999. It was it was still when Fred was doing the uh, shows, when he was filming. Um, but it was near the latter end of the career of the series. But I met Mr. McFeely. I got his autograph, got some pictures with him, which I have no idea where those are either. But the one thing I still do have, and I cherish this with everything, I kept the letter that Mr. Rogers wrote to me. And oh, you do which, have it. So, okay, good. Yes. And he autographed it at the bottom. But what really gets to me nowadays, which, you know, I didn't really think of it growing up, but, you know, now that I'm, I'm grown up and I have so much of an appreciation for everything he's taught me and every, every other child that he's, you know, educated and stuff at the very bottom, you know, he, Oh, of course, at the end of the show, he always said, you always make it a special day by just your being yourself and would say there's only one person in the whole world like you. And I like you just the way you are. But he saw, he said that at the very end of the letter. But when he got to the last part where he said, and I like you just the way you are, he said, and Zachary, I like you just the way you are. And every time I pull that letter out and I read it, it just it really gets to me because That's I realize he's talking directly to me and he's not addressing me through the television or anything. He's saying it on paper and saying it to me. So, I mean, for somebody, for someone nowadays who says, hey, you know, I got to let I wrote to Mr. Rogers. I heard back from him and stuff, you know, to be able to say that, you know, I have that letter still and I'm able to you know, look at it still and see that he liked me just the way I, I am. You know, it just really, it's really emotional, especially considering that he's gone now. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I'm mad at my mom now, uh, my parents, for two reasons. One, because Mr. Rogers wasn't there at Idlewild Park <laughs> that day in 1993. And I'm now mad at her that she didn't encourage me to write to him because otherwise I would have gotten a uh, a letter back. So uh, oh, uh, after I hit end record here, she's going to get a re real scathing uh, from. The See, I'm holding this grudge for 30 plus years right now. I'm just kidding, mom, if you're if you're watching or listening. To <laughs> no, this, don't, but, don't uh, do that. Don't tell him Zach Arnold sent you on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to find all these people in the comments are going to be like, well, I wrote to Mr. Rogers too. And then I'm going to get even more mad. So, <laughs> but Zach, or some, hey, pe or some people are going to say I wrote to him and I didn't hear back. <laughs> well, maybe I'll write to Eddie D's and maybe he'll write to me. <laughs> oh, he will. <laughs> I know I had him on a couple of months ago. He was great, but uh, this was a fun podcast, Zach. Uh, thanks again for coming on and I really appreciate it. Best of luck. Hope we can uh, get you in there, do some voiceover stuff. You got some good stuff. You got good talent and uh, yeah, best of luck. Enjoy yourself down in Florida. And Thank you uh, wish, very much, wish I could wish I could do head, head down to Florida permanently, but I just bought a home here. So I'm stuck here in Ohio for a little bit longer. What's it like but up there right now? Uh, it's um well we're recording this the day before Halloween right now it is currently 
uh, 42 degrees and tomorrow is going to be a high of 43 and potential snow for trick-or-treating. So for all the little kids in their Marvel costumes and their Barbie costumes, they have to wear a winter coat over it. So fun time in Cleveland uh, today. I hate to burst your bubble. It's 86 degrees here. And you're, you're in Orlando? Uh, near, I'm about, I'd say an hour, uh, Northwest of Orlando. I'm right outside of Ocala. I'm actually oh, okay. in the villages. The, oh, uh, okay. So that, I'm that Ocala, I believe, right now. I believe Ocala was where, uh, Captain Midnight was from. Yes. And, <laughs> um, I actually live in Oklahoma, Florida, which, uh, if you've heard of, uh, Ma Barker, the crime, uh, the crime gang, it was Ma Barker and her two sons. They were bank okay. robbers and, they ended up getting uh, their end came in a shootout with the FBI in near uh, right on the lakeside of Lake Weir in Oklahoma. And as a matter of fact, I live less than five minutes from the historic house where the raid occurred. Jeez, so well, I live in a historic town. <laughs> well, you're a, you're a long way from uh, you're a long way from Hershey, Pennsylvania, but. Uh... Uh, well, Zach, thanks again for doing this, the podcast. And I hope you folks out there enjoyed this podcast as well. Again, I am on Patreon at patreon.com slash Tony Mazur, T-O-N-Y-M-A-Z-U-R. You get more podcasts per week and all my solo rants about whatever. God only knows what's going on in the world today. But uh, yeah, so that's if you want more episodes. But if you just want to check out the free shows, the free YouTube, the free Rumble episodes, or just the free podcast, wherever you get your podcast, wait till next week. You got another one coming up next Wednesday. Thanks everybody for checking out the show. Leave me a five-star review and rating. And if not, I don't, I don't really care. You, you enjoy yourselves folks. Bye everybody.